us, O God of hosts. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Every time you get on a plane, your flight starts with an in-flight safety briefing. Every time you visit a movie theater, the show always starts with previews. Most concerts that you go to starts with an opening act. Even tonight's Lessons in Carols begins with a harp prelude at 5.30. And Luke's gospel is no different, offering something to you to orient you at the beginning. In chapter 1, Luke begins his gospel using a device very common in the ancient Greek-speaking world, a soliloquy or a speech given by one person. Luke is following in this tradition of Greek literature, following this tradition of ancient writers like Thucydides, who wrote a famous history of the Peloponnesian War. But this speech in Luke's gospel isn't just a preamble. It's rather a proclamation of sorts, an announcement of a new reality that's on the way. And so Luke uses Mary uses Mary to proclaim the entire intent of Jesus' arrival on humanity by singing the Magnificat. This canticle that we hear today in our gospel reading that Myra just read. This is more extraordinary than we think. At first glance, we might go, well, okay, it's really pretty. But we, we need to think about who is proclaiming this at the time. Mary, a young, unwed mother, someone who has never known life to be easy at all, who probably has never had a cent to call her own, who now faces challenges of social stigma, even potentially capital punishment if the religious police get involved, all because she said yes to an angel. Mary, at this point, is not only struggling for her very survival. But in doing so, she begins singing this powerful text, announcing a great reversal of sorts, this inbreaking of the kingdom of God and how this new work, this new wonderful act of God will become realized through her child. But this Magnificat is no ordinary speech opening some kind of plot of ancient Greek drama. No, this Magnificat comes from the very depth of Mary's being, pouring out her soul into words about what God is doing for humankind. This is not like Shakespeare, where every play in Shakespeare has a narrator, and like the narrator opens, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. No. This is more raw. It's almost more of a call to prayer or some type of convulsive wail, an unraveling of an identity, a revelation of truth to be told to the world in a way that the world has never been told before. That's how Mary's song, the Magnificat, is proclaimed. And this text has major consequences on the world, especially to those in power. 
calling out for a new world order where God rights the wrongs of the ages, where those who oppress others will be cast down under the feet of those enslaved. To people in power throughout the ages and even now, Mary's proclamation is scary. So it's no wonder why in 19th century India, the British would not allow the Magnificat in public worship. In 1970s Argentina, the military junta forbid the church from using it. After all, it was the era of the desaparecidos, the disappearing ones. And the mothers of those victims of the people who disappeared used the Magnificat as their rallying cry against the government. This text moves people. It wakes them up. This text has convinced people in the world to do things that they truly believed that they could not do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who once said it was the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung, found strength in it to resist the Nazis when other German Christian leaders complied with their demands. In the 1960s, civil rights martyr Jonathan Daniels, some of you might not know about him, Jonathan Daniels was a seminarian up in Massachusetts at the Episcopal Theological School in in the 1960s, and he found strength about this. He writes about struggling, struggling with the Magnificat as a seminarian because he's struggling to figure out whether or not he's going to go south to join Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, Alabama. And so he, we, we know this because he wrote in his own words, I had come to evening prayer. I was singing the Magnificat. At the lovely hymn, as the lovely hymn of the Godbearer continued, I found myself peculiarly alert suddenly straining towards the decisive, luminous, spirit-filled moment that would, in retrospect, remind me of others. And then it came. He has exalted the humble and meek. He has filled the hungry with good things. I knew at that moment I must go to Selma. And a few weeks later, while in Selma... Jonathan Daniels was killed by a cop when he took a bullet that the cop had intended for a young woman. Jonathan Daniels went in the way of it, and he died. And even Oscar Romero, the bishop from El Salvador, who in the 1980s was assassinated during Mass, frequently drew comparisons between Mary's song and the poor and powerless people in his own community. Yes, this text moves people and has convinced people to do things they believed they were not suited to do. To those in charge, this song is a threat because it proclaims a new world order, announcing God's new reign, coming into the world right here and right now. But this is not a hymn of vengeance. And I need to reply, I have to repeat this. It is not a hymn of vengeance. This is a hymn of love, a hymn about what it is, what the world is to come, what the life is going to be like with the arrival of Jesus. Did Jesus start a revolution? A revolution of love, perhaps, but certainly not a violent overthrow of anything. 
This is about God loving the world so much that God's promises for humanity are going to be fulfilled once and for all. This is about the one coming into the world who will walk always beside us when we are at the extremity of our own strength. The one who is with us in the wilderness of ice or in the furnace of fire. The one who will be to each of us at a time The one who will be at the time of our greatest loneliness or our greatest time of trial, an encouraging word. You are not alone. You have a companion. And there's something we overlook every time we hear this. That's partly to blame on our own translation. There is something that we overlook every time we hear this. In verse 54... We typically recite, and I'll recite what we read today in the gospel reading. Our gospel reading at verse 54 says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. It says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Okay. So what? Well, this line is not giving us the whole picture. There is something that is truly missing in our translation. Several new translations have something very different, and you need to hear this. The newer translations say, He has taken Israel, his child, by the hand, for he has remembered his promise of mercy. Notice the difference? He has taken Israel, his child, by the hand, for he has remembered his promise of mercy. Think about it, though. When God takes God's entire family by the hand, and God shows the power of the divine strength upon the world, how much gentler is it to be in relationship to God as God's child, in companionship with God, than as God's servant? God looks upon the people of Israel as his children, and so he gently takes Israel by the strength of his arm And leads them and leads us to a new place, a new realm that lives into God's promises for everyone forever. The good news is that Mary's Magnificat makes our faith real. It cuts out the facade, the smoke and mirrors, the churchiness. It keeps us from trying to be churchy or pious or overly theological. And it goes to the very heart of the heart of God the nature of God, who God is and who God wants us to be as God's own people. This extremely lovingly sweet and overwhelmingly powerful and overwhelmingly gentle God that wants the best for you and me. The Magnificat calls us into the reality that we are God's children, not God's grandchildren, not God's cousins, not God's distant relatives. We are made God's children. And we're given all the blessings and benefits that accompany that. In the wake of all kinds of stuff we hear about in the news, clergy, sca- clergy abuse scandals, military withdrawals, political gridlock, government shutdown, increasing rates of poverty, incarceration, and gun violence, and societal discord that seems to continue to be on the rise, the Magnificat is a leveling ground of the highest order. 
It's the call of God upon our lives and the lives of all who live around us to live lives to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. After all, we are God's children. Ultimately, the Magnificat is about promise, that God's promises to us are not going to be broken. And that through Jesus's God, through Jesus, God's promises to build up a new world order, a new creation, a new life for all people in a new realm called the kingdom of God. And it all begins with the birth of Jesus. And this God who is strong and mighty leads us gently like a gentle giant extending a hand to a child and guiding him across the street, leads us with companionship alongside us, guiding us into a new reality, into an intentional life of being blessed, into paths of peace and goodwill, a gentle path in a new era of companionship. We get to walk in this path. We walk in the path of the Magnificat. Mary paved the way. She sets out a roadmap of victory for our God to infuse God's very presence with our humanity so that we can never in any way be isolated, separated, kept away from God's presence ever again. Mary marks this trail of guidance, of blessing, of promise, and reveals something beautiful to the world. The reality that God will stop at nothing to connect with us, to heal us, to restore everybody. God stops at nothing to connect, to heal, to restore everybody. The Magnificat is the longest body of text in the Bible spoken by a woman. And thank God for that. Because it's one of the most important texts we'll ever hear. How will you unravel your soul and let God in? To let God in to be your companion. How might you pour out your soul and proclaim the greatness of this all-powerful but gigantically gentle God. 